Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Another edition, another guest, but this one, I'm looking at a mountainous scene, and in front of it sits a man, Mike Shaw by name. And Mike's going to tell us all sorts of interesting stuff. But good evening, Mike. How are you? Good evening, Russell. Yeah, I'm doing fabulous. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show here. Pleasure. And where in the world are you? Because I can tell that you're not you're not the English persuasion. <laughs> yeah, well, the picture you see behind me is actually in the Himalaya. I don't think the, the listeners can see that. But um, yeah, I've got a mountainous vista in, uh, in the backdrop there. But uh, where I actually am, I'm in a little place called uh, Squamish, um, which is about 45 minutes north of a, of a city called Vancouver in Canada on the west coast. So uh, Squamish is a mountain town. Uh, we've got beautiful mountain vistas here as well. Uh, it's just a, yeah, just a kind of an outdoor recreation center for the country. Wow. Um, beautiful part of the world. Love Vancouver. Great place to be. In fact, I'm going there next year, so I shall probably oh, drop nice. in. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my my family of 83 will just discern on you for an evening. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, um, Mike, tell me a little bit about what it is that you do. Yeah, well, uh, so a few different things. Um, I love to be in nature, as you can probably guess. I love to get out in the mountains. I've been a mountaineer since uh, since I was about 17. And uh, I love travel. My wife and I, we've traveled to quite a lot, you know, extensively throughout the world. Uh, that will lead to a, probably a, a different part of our discussion in terms of what we what we, uh, what we did in Nepal and our experience over there over the years, over the last nine years. Um, ended up writing a book about that, which we can talk about. And um, yeah, and, and other than that, I, I'm in the investment world as well. I, I got into business when I was a teenager. I started my own business when I was 15 years old. Uh, wanted to be a creative writer. <laughs> creative writing was was actually my, um, my, my sort of my foremost passion in high school. Um, and I remember my high school teacher, he used to encourage me to submit my work for publication and that sort of thing. But um, circumstances had other plans for me and ended up going into business. Um, so, which was another creative pursuit in, in a way. And then I kind of returned back to writing uh, through, the, through our time in Nepal. And, and that's what uh, led to the writing of this, uh, this book. Wow. So mountaineering, I mean, I, I've, never, I've never got it. So for those of us who are totally uninitiated, and even for those of you who are, for are those people who are listening who are even avid fans, I mean, you know, you climb a mountain because it's there. So it was famously said. But what is the attraction? Well, that's uh, that's an excellent question. That's a question I'm still 
discovering myself. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, to be honest, I love um, I love being out there in nature. I love being you know in that um, in that natural world. I think you know, well, we are nature at the end of the day, right? And um, and so I think you know the mountains being out there, it kind of allows me to plug back into into the fundament what it means to be fundamentally human. Uh, you know the heightened sensitivities, being able to to understand the land, the movement of the land. Um, you know, being able to uh, to kind of you know interact with nature on that very in that very raw sense. And if there's a day where I can be out there, you know, in different different terrain where I can use my my crampons, those are the the, the spikes on the, that you put in your boots, my ice axe, even my rock shoes. You know, have all the different elements. Uh, it kind of um, it kind of really pushes me out of my my comfort zone. And I think that's one of the aspects, you know, it heightens my sensitivities, it pushes me out of the comfort zone, and it allows me to, to kind of plug back into what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the way I can summarize um, the biggest attraction. Uh, and, I guess I like to climb. and I guess it's incredibly visceral, and, uh, and you, get, you must get a sense of, I went up there and then I came down. So it's mm. a very practical achievement, isn't it? It's like doing the ironing, you know, you, you know when you finished it sort of thing. Whereas some journeys, it's quite hard to see where they start and where they finish, I guess. Sorry, yeah, yeah, doing no. the ironing is not the greatest metaphor, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're very right. I remember the first time I climbed a mountain and a friend of mine, he was an experienced mountaineer and I was 17 years old at the time. And he said, you know, Mike, I want to take you up this mountain. I had no idea what that meant. But I said, you know, as a 17 year old, it sounded pretty awesome. So he lent me his crampons, his ice axe, his harness, and off we went up this mountain. And um, I remember, you know, we had been climbing for about four or five hours at that point. We were getting up this, uh, this very steep, kind of uh, glaciated or ice slope, a uh, very steep ice slope. Um, and he said, you know, to me, just kick in your crampons, uh, plunge in your ice axe. Um, so I would do that, just kick kick in with my right foot, kick in with my left foot, plunge the axe, and, uh, and we were going up systematically. And um, I remember taking a break, you know, as we, the sun was just coming up uh, over the ridgeline. And I, you know, I, I remember looking to my right and my left and all I could see was just this sort of glistening white slope that just dropped away uh, to either side. And then, uh, and then I looked over my shoulder um, and behind me, I saw all these distant peaks. The sun was just coming up. It was kind of creating all these orange and purple hues and, and these over these distant peaks. And I, I remember thinking to myself that, you know, there is this whole world up here that we have no idea even exists uh, other than when we have the will to climb, to be up here. And that to me in that moment was just it. I, I just totally fell in love with um, with the world of mountaineering and, and just, you know, for brief moments, being able to get up there into those new worlds yes. to, uh, to play for a bit. And, and, uh, and, you know, just having that freedom of, of that view and, and, and realizing that I'm a very small aspect of, of the whole picture. Yeah, all of those things combined just totally captivated me. And I'm guessing how, so you have literal perspective, don't you? Because you're, you are above, above and beyond. And, um, and my understanding is that it's harder to come down a mountainside than it is to go up. Is that true? Uh, it can be, for sure. Yeah, I mean, typically, um, you know, you think about when you're coming down, the hard work or the perceived hard work is behind you. You know, you've gotten to the objective, yeah. uh, or maybe you haven't gotten to the objective, but you're still on your way down. And, uh, you know, you're, typically your body's tired, you're mentally tired, you're maybe not thinking straight. Um, you know, so and you're, maybe you're rushing a little bit to get back down to your camp or home. Mm. Um, so that's typically where where people kind of let their guard down a little bit. And, and most of the accidents actually happen on the way down. Do they really? That's interesting. So the so you, you, you need all this resilience to get up and then it's like a release and a rush and... 
um, I was going to say a casualness, but I'm sure it's not that. But it is that I've achieved it. The hardest is behind me, sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But uh, the hardest maybe may seem to be behind you, but <laughs> yes. Yeah, so but again, not perilous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So where and, do you start? And, I mean, do you, I mean, are there types of mountains? Are there? I mean, I know you're going to talk about Nepal, which has famously mm. some of the the, the monsters, but. Mm. Um, I think the biggest mountain, isn't it, from from sea from the bottom of the sea, is a is a volcano in Hawaii, isn't it? But the, the highest mountain is Everest, I'm guessing. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so there's different kinds of terrain, different kinds of mountains. You know, different t- kinds of, kinds of technical terrain. Um, you know, the mountains here, for example, in my in my backyard, so to speak, uh, they're not they're not high. Um, you know, the highest one is perhaps around three thousand meters, but um, or just under, but. Um, but you know some of them are ex- incredibly technical, right? So right. you do, even though you don't have, you're not dealing with that high altitude uh, side of things, uh, you are dealing with you know needing to use technical gear and, and having the skill and, and expertise to be able to read the land and and yeah. you know it's funny because um, the biggest culture shock I ever had. <laughs> I've been to some pretty interesting places, but the biggest culture shock I ever had was the first time Chantal, my wife and I, we went to Switzerland. Well, my wife was born in Switzerland, but we went back. And, um, and we went to this little place called the Jungfrau, Jungfrau Joch, um, which is, I don't know if you've been there or, or, or know it, but it's this little station kind of perched up, um, you know, about 10,000 feet, 3,000 meters on this, uh, this kind of this glacier. And the, what the Swiss did to create this thing is absolutely mind blowing. They built a train actually carving through mountains and then to get to this little saddle. Uh, and we were up there. And typically, anytime I had been in that kind of environment before, it would take a long time, you know, a lot of arduous effort yeah. to, to get up to that kind of a place. But, you know, there we were catching a train up and suddenly, you know, the doors open and I've got, um, you know, girls in, in high heels uh, with their little purses walking around. And I thought, well, something is not computing. Some sort of literal life. heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I guess you could look at it like, like that. But, you know, at the time I was quite shocked. I'm like, how does this, how do these things fit together? You know, yeah. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, so you start with small and technical or you start with small and then you do technical. And I'm guessing mm. that as you progress, the level of peril in group proofs, but obviously your level of skill does at the same sort of time. But there must be things, you know, must be times where things go wrong and you have to, you know, do the, the resilience thing of somehow you know, either pushing on through the pain or the issue or weathering the storm or literally, you know, making a terrible mistake and working out how you come back from it. So, so talk yeah. to me a bit about that. Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, definitely, definitely counting the times where, where we've had close calls. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with um, knowing yourself, yeah. like knowing, knowing the landscape, knowing the land and knowing yourself. And as I said, like kind of practicing to tap, in, tap into those higher sensitivities of being able to tap, because I think we all have our natural state of, um, of uh, you know, call it intuition or, 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 you know, gut feeling or whatever it may be. And I think that that sensation has, um, has evolved. I mean, that's yeah. what's kept us alive for thousands of years, right? And, and kept us uh, thriving as human beings. And I think, you know, in our modern world, it's kind of interesting because we're almost creating barriers um, yes. between ourselves and those natural sensations. We're trying to create, you know, comfort and, uh, you know, and, and, and almost create walls between nature mm. and ourselves. And, and I think we do that to a degree to our own peril, because when we kind of blunt the sensations or if we don't practice those senses, I think we're actually kind of tuning out a part of what, you know, our fundamental sort of um, um, 
warning system, I, I, I guess, suppose you could call it. Uh, and there have been times in the mountains where, you know, something just felt off. I, I couldn't pinpoint yeah. with my mind any sort of present danger, but, um, but something, it was almost like there was a foreboding kind of sensation. And, um, and, and three times, I mean, two times it saved my life listening to that sensation. Um, another time when I didn't listen to it, it led to a very devastating um, accident for another party, uh, not because of my fault, but um, uh, just they ended up being in a place where they shouldn't have been and we had, had to go and rescue them. But, um, but yeah, so I try to, to practice tapping into that sensation. That's part of what being in the mountains means to me and, uh, and, and listening or honoring that, um, that sensation when it comes up. That's really interesting, isn't it? That sort of going back to our um, primeval selves. We've mm. sort of lost sight, haven't we, in a very short time of our sort of animalistic tendencies and we've become incredibly cultured or sophisticated or neither, mm. um, depending on where you are in the world. But um, it is yeah, all that, that sort of visceral experience of being out touching the rocks and putting, mm. you know, putting yourself in, you know, in danger, but with nature must be quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah, very meditative in a way, um, yeah. learning more about myself. And, and you're right, I mean, you know, Jared, I don't know if you read Jared Diamond's book, um, The World Until Yesterday, he wrote about exactly like you talked about, how what, what we're, the world we're living in now um, seems kind of normal yeah. to us, um, but it's actually not. <laughs> you know, it's actually only existed this way for a blink of the eye. Yeah. And for tens of thousands, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands of years, we've actually lived very differently. So, you know, it's interesting to see where this way of, of life is leading us, you know, is the, the, the technology, is the social media, is the modern world. I mean, yes, it brings a lot of good things with it. And obviously, you know, as a, as a human race, we're, we're still thriving here. But, um, but I think it's worth thinking about, okay, what perhaps are we not paying attention to that we should be? And I think becoming disconnected from the real world removes that sort of connection with nature and therefore, you know, the, the damage we're doing to the planet. Mm, it becomes yeah. it becomes dissociated to it because we have no way of uh, in our own existence seeing that because we live our life through screens and games and such like and it's mm. it's 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 I'm guessing I mean I've heard stories of you know people going to atolls in the in the Pacific and you know falling over coke bottles and the same at the top of you know some of the mountains I mean some of it's rubbish that's left behind which is bad enough mm. but you know some mm. of it's stuff that's floating in the atmosphere isn't it it's uh, you must see the physical signs of human inhabitation yeah yeah no for sure for sure and that was one of the interesting things when we went into this little valley in nepal this was back in 2012 well actually 2011 we caught wind of this valley i it's funny because i had wanted to go to nepal since i was a teenager um yeah. i don't there was a strange draw that i had almost like a calling and and very at the very soul level and um but i didn't i, I didn't end up making it to nepal until um until i was in my early 30s Wow. Um, part of the reason was I didn't have the, you know, the money when I was younger, working yeah. on my career and that sort of thing. So didn't have the time, couldn't take that big chunk of time off. And, and but part of the reason was also um, I never really understood what I wanted to do. You know, did I want to climb a, a mountain? Did I want to do some sort of a trek? You know, Everest base camp? I don't know. You know, it was just nothing quite stuck, right? And um, and and I one thing I did know was that I I wanted to go somewhere off the beaten path. Yeah. Like I didn't want to go where everybody else was going, uh, trying to have more of that, um, I guess, in a way, uh, an authentic experience. Yeah, and, makes sense. And so in 2011, uh, we sat down with this, well, actually a British gentleman, um, and he had been trekking throughout Nepal uh, for 20 years. Um, he had been gone, you know, he'd been going into some of the most uh, obscure places, 
that uh, that people typically didn't know about. And and so he told us about this one little valley called the Lost Valley of Narfu. And this valley had been uh, at the time had just been opened up a few years prior to that. Um, prior to that, it had been closed off to the to the world for for hundreds of years, for generations. Um, and uh, and so it had just been opened up. And so he was showing us some pictures of this uh, this this valley that you know when he last went in there and. And the pictures just totally blew my mind. I didn't know that a place like that in the world still existed. I mean, the authentic, genuine connection that the people there had, uh, they'd been living the same way that they'd been living for the last 800 years uh, in terms of their homes, the clothing, the, the livelihoods, they're semi, semi-nomadic, um, moving with the seasons. Uh, so, and you know, it's a place where we talk about the modern world. It's a place where the modern world hadn't yet reached yes. uh, so that in 2012 or 2011 when we were looking at the pictures i i thought for immediately i, I looked at my wife and i said you know we almost looked at each other like okay this is this is yeah. the place where, this is the where we're gonna yeah yeah exactly yeah. so that's kind of what pulled us it pulled us over there yeah because I mean, i'm guessing nepal's so symbolic anyway and it's got a rich culture and such like so so tell me about this uh, tell me about this experience then yeah, so we went, um, we decided to put a little team together um, because we understood from our friend that the Valley, now that it had been opened, it was going to be experiencing some unprecedented change. And, um, and so we thought, okay, well, let's put a little team together of artists who can, uh, you know, where we can learn and observe from the people uh-huh. and where we can yeah. uh, kind of capture a moment in time before things change too much. So we, we had a photographer, actually, it was kind of a, a mashup of a team because, <laughs> you know, we had this Polish professor who was a photographer, a geomorphology professor. Uh, we had this, uh, this musician who's, you know, kind of like a neo hippie, um, you know, blonde hair wrapped in a purple bandana and a pointed goatee with his guitar slung over his shoulder. Um, we had this cowboy uh, from Calgary <laughs> wearing this brown brimmed uh, cowboy hat, handlebar mustache, and uh, and he's the token American. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a very talented nature artist too. Um, and, yeah, and then uh, and then Chantal and I kind of in our trim fitting, you know, athletic wear. <laughs> yes. so it's like you put us, you line us up side by side, and and, and we'd look like a total, uh, yeah, like why are these people together? Um, but uh, but in Kathmandu in Nepal, where there's a spectrum of every color and sound, you know, you can imagine, uh, we seem to fit right in, and mm. and and we kind of you know came together with the vision of um, you know the call of this lost valley, and so that was kind of the intention. But as I was going through these pictures. Um, you know, I, towards the end of the evening, I came across this one picture of this white uh, pyramidal mountain. Um, it was almost like a white pyramid coming out of the stony, stark earth. And uh, as a mountaineering fanatic, I just thought, I have got to go. I've got to go try and climb this. I've got to find this mountain. I, you know, my friend didn't even know if it had a name, if it had been climbed. Um, but I thought, you know, if there's one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to find this mountain and I'm going to try and climb it. And so that's kind of the... Um, the intention that we went into the valley uh and and so we we get in there the valley is actually um considered a bayul uh the tibetans call it a bayul which means a sacred valley and um the dalai lama himself has said that it's a place where the physical and spiritual realms coalesce closer together and we uh, we felt that i mean i remember walking through the the gate there's this one prominent gate uh we've been trekking for about a week up to that point and 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 there was this gate entering this part of the valley. Um, the scripture on the beam of the wood under the archway uh, was neither Tibetan or Nepali. Our guides couldn't, uh, they said it was neither, neither language that they could read. Um, and, uh, and I remember walking through the gate and um, it was actually a kind of a spiritual experience because 
it's almost like colors shifted, uh, sensations shifted. Uh, there was definitely like a kind of a deeper sensation of, of it's almost like we walked into an orb of some sort. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah. And and yeah, it was just a and and we were all we all felt it. I mean, I remember Eric, the the professor. He uh, he actually broke down into tears and he he said, wow. uh, you know, he felt like he didn't deserve to be there. Um, so you know things like that. But so we get into this place, um, this the most remote outpost village uh, in the entire valley. This little place called Fu, and. Um, you know, you imagine the village itself is sitting at about 14,000 feet in elevation. Um, the houses are, are such that, um, you know, little stone houses kind of etched up the mountainside. And um, it almost was as though the, these 7,000 meter peaks, these dominating peaks were almost squeezing the life out of the place. Um, and yet the people there have been surviving, um, you know, surviving the same way that they have been for hundreds of years. Yeah. And, um, and so yeah, there we were. And that was also the staging ground um, from where I would try and find this pyramid mountain. Um, so I spent two days doing the reconnaissance uh, with two Sherpa guides that I had with me and, and, and we found the mountain. Wow. And uh, Russell, I, I can tell you that it was the most glorious thing that I could That's ever really nice. imagine. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, but it was when we found it, um, that's when things started spiraling out of control. Um, that's when things started falling apart. And, and you know, for example, we caught it, we got caught in a in a snowstorm at about seventeen thousand feet, and cool. and um, you know the mule that was carrying my climbing gear ran off uh, with my gear and uh, um, was two days behind us, and you know so all of these things started coming apart, and I it kind of forced me to hunker down in this little village, and questioning. I actually went through a bit of an identity crisis. You know, I've been in a, now I was in a place that I wanted to be in since I was fifteen, and yeah. and why were all these things falling apart, and and. Um, and so, yeah, struggling with this notion of, you know, why am I here yeah. in the Himalaya? And what am I here? Perhaps there's like some sort of deeper um, reason why I'm here rather than to climb this mountain. So it was kind of a struggle. But that's kind of where I, I was forced to hunker down and, and, and connect more actually with the locals at that time. Yeah. Interesting. And so this, this feeling, this sense, this, um, this, this thing, uh, this identity crisis, all of that, um, how did you work through that and, and, and what came out from that? Yeah, no, that's a good question because, um, yeah, I, I started, we started connecting a lot with, with the locals. We would dine with them. We would prepare food. You know, you imagine a, a, a room not larger than a, I don't know, a typical, um, maybe a large bedroom or something like that. And, and that was the size of their home. And they'd have a little dung fueled stove in the middle and you'd have about 20 people crammed in there and, and we'd prepare meals together. We would, we would eat together. Um, and, and, you know, not that we could speak each other's language because they speak a, a very distinct yeah. dialect in that particular part of the, the, the valley, but, um, but we speak with our eyes and we'd speak with, you know, other ways, we communicate through other ways. And, and so, um, so I started connecting with them. And, and one young man I met um, by the name, name of Sanam Dorje, he had just come back to the village uh, after seven years. Um, he left the village when he was 14 um, to go get education outside village education because that wasn't available to him there. Uh, again, in these places at the time, there was no electricity, not even any toilets, um, you know, no communication with the outside world even. Um, so, you know, so when he came back, it was the first time he'd been back. He hadn't seen his parents or his village in, in seven years. And, and, um, and our paths happened to cross right there. Um, so him and I, we would take these daily walks together and, um, and, and kind of, you know, he would teach me about his, the village ways and the culture and Tibetan Buddhism. They're more Tibetan, uh, you know, culturally up there. Um, and, uh, and, and he talked to me about the plight of the, the village and how 
kids there would, um, you know, by the time they're six or seven years old, they would have to uh, to start working in the field, very hard, hard labor. Um, by the time girls were 15, 16 years old, they would have to, at that time, um, start getting married and having, yeah. you know, families of their own, right? So, so just a very different way. And, and, um, and I started thinking about all these things as it related to the struggle that I was going through. And I, I remember just thinking, like, why am I, why do I have so much stress over this mountain, which really doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> in the grand scheme of things mm -hmm. um, when I'm learning about the richness of the culture and, and everything that's happening there and the changes that are happening, um, very rapid changes, um, you know, now that, uh, that things are opening up uh, to them. So it's back to that sense of perspective, isn't it? The, and this, to, this, before the mountain itself had been the perspective had given you it, but this time the mountain sort of was the perspective in the sense that it, it, it was less relevant or less important in a way, because it's just a thing, yeah. I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost like, um, like maybe I wasn't there to climb it. Maybe it was, it was definitely calling mm. me there, but perhaps it was calling me there as a bit of a guide, you know, as something, yeah. you know, to, to open up a much deeper, exactly. Yeah. Maybe open a much deeper doorway mm. into you know, that, the inner space, um, not just, you know, going there to climb it, so to speak. Um, yeah. yeah. So that, that's kind of, um, that's kind of what was happening in that time. And, and, and because, you know, I don't want to give too much away in case people want to read the book, but, um, but what it opened up was actually uh, the most profound encounter of my life with this, uh, uh, because we went to this other little village. Um, we wouldn't have, or I wouldn't have had time to go there had I climbed the mountain, but there's two main villages in this entire valley and, and Fu yeah. was one of them and Nar was the other. And we, because I didn't climb the mountain, it actually allowed us to go to this other little village called Nar. And, and there I discovered that there was this little stone school. Um, and I had this encounter with this little girl, seven-year-old girl, um, who was actually teaching her class English numbers wow. um, and, and that kind of opened this is all back in 2012 and that kind of opened this whole lifelong um, change I mean a life change where that encounter changed the trajectory of my life my wife's life um, changed the trajectory of the little girl and her family uh, their lives and we've kind of grown together over over the last nine years are yeah. almost becoming family with them going back to Nepal every eight to ten months and and, uh, and visiting with them and, and almost co-parenting with their parents, um, you know, uh, doing what we can for these two little little girls. Wow. So you've set it up brilliantly. You've teased us. You better tell <laughs> us about how, this book and how we can buy it because um, <laughs> after an introduction like that, there's people who should be flocking to find out the rest of the story. So tell me the name of the book and how we can get hold of it. Yeah, so the book is called A Story of Karma, Finding Love and Truth in the Lost Valley of the Himalaya. A story of karma and you can learn more about it um, on my website uh, my website is just my name michaelschauch.com so that's m-i-c-h-a-e-l-s-c-h-a-u-c-h.com and um, and you can find it at you know amazon or, or yeah. local bookstores uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll be able to order it for sure it's, it's basically available where where books are sold that sounds absolutely fascinating and it sounds like a it's interesting is you know it sounds like a human story rather than a, a, a climber's story. So it's 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 sort of got messages for everybody in a way. It's absolutely fascinating. That's right. Yeah, yeah. People, our readers have told me it's almost like, um, uh, you know, it starts as kind of like an adventure, you know, a story yeah. of adventure and that sort of thing. But it turns into a story of a journey of, of the heart, um, yeah. a, a journey of love and connection, human connection, a deep human connection across cultures and continents. And, and, and perhaps, um, you know, something that we, 
you know, that could help us today in this time of, yeah. of um, COVID and everything we're dealing with when, you know, we were self-isolated and, you know, perhaps we can't travel far. Um, sounds like think, a movie. Let's be honest. It oh. sounds just like a movie. So who's going to play you in the film? <laughs> if you have any ideas, let me know. Actually, you're not the first person to have said that. Um, you know, many people actually say that, you know, as well, after, especially after reading the book, they're like, this has got to be a movie or something. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and maybe it will be, I don't know. But um, yeah, no, my objective to, to writing the book is just to share a good story. Because my wife and I, we started sharing parts of the story uh, over the years. And, um, you know, it didn't, didn't matter whoever was sitting on the other side of the table, you know, different walks of life, uh, there would always be like this deep yearning to learn more and, and this kind of this, this, like this emotional connection to it. And so I thought, well, you know, why not, um, you know, why not write it in a book and, yeah. uh, and share it that way? And if people can sort of, you know, if it helps um, in some way, uh, open, opening the heart, opening more human connection, you know, uh, why, why not, right? Yeah, why not indeed? And who, I mean, I think that's absolutely brilliant. Who knew a story about climbing a mountain could turn into such a, a fantastic thing um thank you mike for spending time with us tonight it's been absolutely fascinating and um as i said let's just um just just get those links one more time mike show and the book is the story of karma yeah a story and, of karma uh, finding love and truth in the lost valley of the himalaya and uh, the website again michaelshow.com very good and on all the amazons that's the best place to find the book as well yes yeah <laughs> thanks so much thank you russell yeah it's been an absolute pleasure you take care Cheers. hi everybody I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.